With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 9 of the Europeans. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leanne Howlett. The Europeans by Henry James. Chapter 9. It seemed to Robert Acton, after Eugenia had come to his house, that something had passed between them which made them a good deal more intimate. It was hard to say exactly what, except her telling him that she had taken her resolution with regard to the Prince Adolf for Madame Munster's visit had made no difference in their relations. He came to see her very often, but he had come to see her very often before. It was agreeable to him to find himself in her little drawing-room, but this was not a new discovery. There was a change, however, in this sense, that if the Baroness had been a great deal in Acton's thoughts before, she was now never out of them. From the first she had been personally fascinating, but the fascination now had become intellectual as well. He was constantly pondering her words and motions. They were as interesting as the factors in an algebraic problem. This is saying a good deal, for Acton was extremely fond of mathematics. He asked himself whether it could be that he was in love with her, and then hoped he was not. Hoped it not so much for his own sake as for that of the amatory passion itself. If this was love— love had been overrated. Love was a poetic impulse, and his own state of feeling with regard to the Baroness was largely characterized by that eminently prosaic sentiment, curiosity. It was true, as Acton with his quietly cogitative habit observed to himself, that curiosity, pushed to a given point, might become a romantic passion, and he certainly thought enough about this charming woman to make him restless and even a little melancholy. It puzzled and vexed him at times to feel that he was not more ardent. He was not in the least bent upon remaining a bachelor. In his younger years he had been, or he had tried to be, of the opinion that it would be a good deal jollier not to marry, and he had flattered himself that his single condition was something of a citadel. It was a citadel, at all events, of which he had long since leveled the outworks. He had removed the guns from the ramparts, he had lowered the drawbridge across the moat. The drawbridge had swayed lightly under Madame Munster's step. Why should he not cause it to be raised again, so that she might be kept prisoner? He had an idea that she would become, in time at least, and on learning the conveniences of the place for making a lady comfortable, a tolerably patient captive. 
but the drawbridge was never raised, and Acton's brilliant visitor was as free to depart as she had been to come. It was part of his curiosity to know why the deuce so susceptible a man was not in love with so charming a woman. If her various graces were, as I have said, the factors in an algebraic problem, the answer to this question was the indispensable unknown quantity. The pursuit of the unknown quantity was extremely absorbing. For the present it taxed all Acton's faculties. Toward the middle of August he was obliged to leave home for some days. An old friend, with whom he had been associated in China, had begged him to come to Newport, where he lay extremely ill. His friend got better, and at the end of a week Acton was released. I use the word released advisedly, for in spite of his attachment to his Chinese comrade, he had been but a half-hearted visitor. He felt as if he had been called away from the theatre during the progress of a remarkably interesting drama. The curtain was up all this time, and he was losing the fourth act, that fourth act which would have been so essential to a just appreciation of the fifth. In other words, he was thinking about the Baroness, who, seen at this distance, seemed a truly brilliant figure. He saw at Newport a great many pretty women, who certainly were figures as brilliant as beautiful light dresses could make them. But though they talked a great deal, and the Baroness's strong point was perhaps also her conversation, Madame Munster appeared to lose nothing by the comparison. He wished she had come to Newport, too. Would it not be possible to make up, as they said, a party for visiting the famous watering-place and invite Eugenia to join it? It was true that the complete satisfaction would be to spend a fortnight at Newport with Eugenia alone. It would be a great pleasure to see her in society, carry everything before her, as he was sure she would do. When Acton caught himself thinking these thoughts, he began to walk up and down, with his hands in his pockets, frowning a little and looking at the floor. What did it prove, for it certainly proved something, this lively disposition to be off somewhere with Madame Munster, away from all the rest of them? Such a vision, certainly, seemed a refined implication of matrimony, after the Baroness should have formally got rid of her informal husband. At any rate, Acton, with his characteristic discretion, forbore to give expression to whatever else it might imply, and the narrator of these incidents is not obliged to be more definite. He returned home rapidly, and arriving in the afternoon, lost as little time as possible in joining the familiar circle at Mr. Wentworth's. On reaching the house, however, he found the piazzas empty. The doors and windows were open, and their emptiness was made clear by the shafts of lamplight from the parlors. Entering the house, he found Mr. Wentworth sitting alone in one of these apartments, engaged in the perusal of the North American Review. After they had exchanged greetings, and his cousin had made discreet inquiry about his journey, Acton asked what had become of Mr. Wentworth's companions. "'They are scattered about, amusing themselves as usual,' said the old man. "'I saw Charlotte a short time since, seated with Mr. Brand upon the piazza. They were conversing with their customary animation.' I suppose they have joined her sister, who for the hundredth time was doing the honours of the garden to her foreign cousin. I suppose you mean Felix, said Acton, and on Mr. Wentworth's assenting, he said, And the others? Your sister has not come this evening. 
"'You must have seen her at home,' said Mr. Wentworth. "'Yes, I proposed to her to come. She declined.' "'Lizzie, I suppose, was expecting a visitor,' said the old man, with a kind of solemn slyness. "'If she was expecting Clifford, he had not turned up.' Mr. Wentworth, at this intelligence, closed the North American Review, and remarked that he had understood Clifford to say that he was going to see his cousin. Privately he reflected that if Lizzie Acton had had no news of his son, Clifford must have gone to Boston for the evening an unnatural course of a summer night, especially when accompanied with disingenuous representations. "'You must remember that he has two cousins,' said Acton, laughing. And then, coming to the point, "'If Lizzie is not here,' he added, "'neither apparently is the Baroness.' Mr. Wentworth stared a moment, and remembered that queer proposition of Felix's, for a moment he did not know whether it was not to be wished that Clifford, after all, might have gone to Boston. "'The Baroness has not honoured us to-night,' he said. "'She has not come over for three days.' "'Is she ill?' Acton asked. "'No, I have been to see her.' "'What is the matter with her?' "'Well,' said Mr. Wentworth, I infer she has tired of us. Acton pretended to sit down, but he was restless. He found it impossible to talk with Mr. Wentworth. At the end of ten minutes he took up his hat and said that he thought he would go off. It was very late. It was ten o'clock. His quiet-faced kinsman looked at him a moment. "'Are you going home?' he asked. Acton hesitated and then answered that he had proposed to go over and take a look at the Baroness. "'Well, you are honest, at least,' said Mr. Wentworth sadly. "'So are you, if you come to that,' cried Acton, laughing. "'Why shouldn't I be honest?' The old man opened to the North American again, and read a few lines. "'If we have ever had any virtue among us, we had better keep hold of it now,' he said." He was not quoting. "'We have a baroness among us,' said Acton. "'That's what we must keep hold of.' He was too impatient to see Madame Munster again to wonder what Mr. Wentworth was talking about. Nevertheless, after he had passed out of the house and traversed the garden and the little piece of road that separated him from Eugenia's provisional residence, he stopped a moment outside. He stood in her little garden. The long window of her parlour was open, and he could see the white curtains, with the lamplight shining through them, swaying softly to and fro in the warm night wind. There was a sort of excitement in the idea of seeing Madame Munster again. He became aware that his heart was beating rather faster than usual. It was this that made him stop, with a half-amused surprise. But in a moment he went along the piazza, and approaching the open window, tapped upon its lintel with his stick. He could see the baroness within. She was standing in the middle of the room. She came to the window and pulled aside the curtain. Then she stood looking at him a moment. She was not smiling. She seemed serious. 